This is writer and game designer Robin D. Laws. And this is game designer and writer Kenneth Height. And this is our podcast, Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. Bandwidth brought to you by Pelgrain Press. Stuff we're here to talk about in this episode include... Lightning Round. Lightning Round. And yet also... Lightning Round! Everyone remembers their first trip to the island of Alamarha. You mean that strange, conspiracy-ridden island off the coast of North Africa, known for its lax regulations and mysteriously authoritarian government? Uh, I thought it was in the Mediterranean. Didn't everyone? Atlas Games, the publisher of Feng Shui and Unknown Armies, is at it again with a brand new Kickstarter. This time it's a new edition of Over the Edge, the legendary role-playing game of weird urban danger. Jonathan Tweed is back at the keys, inviting us to join him in creating unique unorthodox characters ready to get into all kinds of trouble. It's the same Alamarha you always knew, only this time it's completely different. If rampant New Age occultism, gangs of baboons, twisted assassins, and mad scientists in a modern-day setting of weirdness and menace tickle your fancy, this is the Kickstarter for you. Over the Edge kickstarts on July 10th, and you can sign up for news at atlas-games.com slash kickstartote. Offer open to humans and tulpas. Tulpas before pledging, ensure your credit card is valid and not part of the illusion. The rattle of dice. The thump of miniatures. The retinal scan you had to undergo as you entered this hut. The chutter of IBM Selectric keys and the glug of medium-priced bourbon. The gray alien and the Nordic alien having a kombucha. The whir of the projector. The dust motes dancing in the beam and the sticky floor we're walking on. Heading up the creakety cobweb stairs. As we open the closet, tumbling out. Homburgs, trilbies, bicockets. I Stetson! The whir of chronotons and the clacking of time gears tell us we've arrived at the 300th episode of Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. All 300 episodes made possible by you, our listeners, because Robin and I, while we love to hear ourselves talk, would not love it quite that much. I think it's fair to say. Yes. We, we would have stopped talking. We are now, uh, just a, a few, uh, weeks shy of the, uh, six year mark. And we would have stopped uh, considerably earlier, and we're still planning so. on continuing, of course. Um, and so, looking back at the very first episode in uh, beginning of August of 2012, our topics were Knight's Black Agents, which was among our many hats. It was. I, I would have sworn that that was uh, more recent than that, but of course... Uh, I think my, the reason I think Knight's Black Agents is more recent is because of Dracula Dossier coming along later. That was, uh, even before Hill Folk. I think it's pretty early in the, uh, podcast when I start talking about that. Another, uh, segment in the first one was a travel advisory, uh, for Continuum, the c- convention in the UK. We don't do as many travel advisories as we used to because, uh, we, it's rarer. Mostly advised people. Yes, right. we've advised people it's rarer that we attend a convention. I mean, people, or... people by now, loyal listeners, know that Portland is lovely, that um, uh, Cuba is sunny, that England is full of uh, black mold and uh, wonderful museums. I mean, what's more to advise, Robin? Uh, I guess the hosts of various conventions around the world will have to uh, find new places to invite us to to bring back the exactly. travel advisory. Step it up, then we'll have a lovely travel advisory, we promise. And somehow in the first episode, I guess we must have uh, solicited questions even before the 
first episode because we had an uh, Ask Ken and Robin right off the bat. Another surprise to me going back and looking at the uh, at the first episodes, and that was on the changing role of the GM in uh, contemporary game design. I don't know, is the role of the GM changed in game design over the last... Well, it uh, changed in 2012, and now we're done. Yeah, there we go. We're, we're yeah. finished, hobby's over. Yep, thanks. Uh, no more design innovations, nothing more has changed. That's right. Listen to the old people when they tell you everything is done and there's no more changes to make. Yeah, so just come along and uh, uh, refill the blood of our hobby, but be exactly like us at the same time. Be exactly That's identical it. in every way. Yes. We beg of you. Exactly. It's the only way we'll stay relevant. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, finally, uh, we had our very first consulting occultist segment, which appropriately enough uh, was the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Uh, that seemed like a pretty well, good that's, place. Uh, that that is appropriate because that kicked off the great occult revival of the of the of modern era, uh, narrowly speaking. Um, and here it is; it kicked off the great podcast revival of the modern era. Not at all narrowly speaking, because that exactly dates to us. Now, the the reason there's a slight uh, discontinuity between the anniversary episodes and the actual year anniversary of the show is that we. Uh, don't always uh, do a full complement of episodes over the holidays. It just depends uh, where the dates fall around uh, Christmas and New Year's because there's no point releasing a podcast into the void. But we have the opposite of a void here. We have a looking up in the sky, Ken. Would you say that the skies are darkening over you in Chicago? I would say that a cumulonimbus... Range has roared in off the prairies, which prairies we will remain democratically neutral on. But by God, they've rolled in the sky. They're black, Robin. The skies are literally black, pregnant with the storm a coming. Oh, and I think I see Zeus up there ready to hurl a thunderbolt or seven. Zeus, a Patreon backer from way back, just like all of you who are also nearly godlike in stature. So we have all sorts of questions in Zeus's quiver. Uh, Zeus <laughs> has acquired them from his fellow Patreon backers. And it's time, yes, folks, to embark upon the lightning round. And the first lightning question comes from Paul Weimer, who asks, what is the most interesting royal or noble family in European history to steal and borrow history and personalities from for RPG purposes. Keeping in mind that interesting is exactly the opposite of uh, good in any sort of civic governance way, the Romanovs, for gosh sakes. You've got impersonators, you've got crazy hemophilia, you've got weird mental diseases, you've got sex with horses, everything you could possibly want for your role-playing game. Except, of course, sex with horses, kids. Don't do that in a role-playing game. It's creepy and weird. Yes, or or in real life, of course, either. Um, I'm going to go for with the Medici's, because because you get your uh, you get your nobles, you get your royals, you get your popes in there. You got uh, they get to interact with uh, all sorts of other uh, historical figures as arts patrons. So I'm going to go with the Medici. The Medici's lightning round. Ian Carlson asks, "What is the most underrated classic fantasy RPG monster, and what are we missing regarding its potential?" Robin, I'm going to go with the Gorgon. Ooh. There's only one. Gorgon movie. It's a Hammer movie called, appropriately enough, The Gorgon. And because the uh, mythology surrounding them is sort of uh, fungible, it hasn't been nailed down as much. It's surprising. Uh, but it has that great uh, Greek mythological uh, provenance to it. And uh, they might turn you to stone and they might do something else. But uh, they're intelligent. They can uh, uh, lurk around. They've probably got something to protect. The Gorgon. I'm going to say the Manticore. The Manticore, because 
people usually just use it as a combat boss, but it also can sing uh, and, and charm you with its charming song. It um, uh, may or may not be a tiger. It uh, can dig pits or fly, depending. Uh, so it's tactically very valid. And also, it symbolizes evil and the Antichrist and lurks off stage for a surprising amount of European history. Lightning, Lightning round. David Soa asks, what movie from the past year translates most directly into a role-playing scenario? A movie from the past year? Jesus. Um, uh, The Girl with All the Gifts, because it's about zombies, and that is a role-playing scenario in itself. And someone said, what if I played a zombie? and the GM was cool with it. Annihilation. You've got your uh, party of adventurers. It's a horror thing. They all, uh, One of them uh, uh, fails their stability roll. Annihilation. Lightning round! Brett Abbott asks, who was the NPC from something you ran that the players had the most fun with? What did they like about them? Uh, for me, it was Theseus. The players did not like Theseus, and that's what they liked about him. Mm. He was in a uh, sort of a hero quest style Greek city-state game in which uh, Theseus showed up and he was uh, sort of played by Sean Connery a bit, but then became uh, sort of even bigger and larger than life than that. And the thing about him was that he was sort of their friend, sort of their enemy, and there's nothing they could do to him physically to defeat him. He could have, uh, as he once told them, he could pluck out an eyelash of his and kill them with that. And so they had to uh, work around him. And so he was doubly annoying in that uh, he wasn't always against them. But he wasn't always for them. And uh, whatever they wanted to do, they just knew from the outset that just physically beating him was just not in the cards because he was freaking Theseus, man. <laughs> um, uh, to stick with the Greek theme, although obviously I've had plenty of fun NPCs, and I'm probably not just thinking of whatever the, the most fun is, but the most recent most fun is uh, the pilot of a Rhodian uh, power armor, a Gundam pilot from uh, my Pokela Hellenistica game, whose name uh, we eventually discovered was Diakoya, but we've named him Justin because he got that name from the Latins, and he's the perfect answer to how do you make your big boss NPC be able to help the players but not take over the narrative, because he's an anime Bishonen Gundam pilot hero, so he can't make up his mind to do anything, and he's just so beautiful, and no one can stay <laughs> mad at him for any kind of length of time, and he takes his armor and goes away, uh, even though you didn't want him to, but you still want to come back. The players love Justin. They can't wait to have him back, so Justin the Gundam pilot from uh, Rhodes in the 270s BC. Lightning Alan Wilkins asks... In the event of a zombie apocalypse, what RPG system or campaign would you offer to run in order to secure your place in a safe zone? And I will note that even though I tried to indicate, uh, I did not indicate specifically enough that uh, questions uh, in which the answer was the name of a game, I was trying to get rid of those, but some cleverly snuck in and I, I failed to prune them. And this is one of those. So, Ken, zombie apocalypse, RPG system or campaign... Uh, what do you do? Well, since no zone that does not want to play Call of Cthulhu is worth surviving in, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, I'm going to say I would probably not make it to the... Uh, I have no confidence that I would make it to the gate <laughs> or be, yeah, or no, be valued. I mean, yeah, this this begins with a crazy assumption that I don't die in the first three minutes, not even of the film. I think I'm just, you know, you see Chicago on fire in the background and someone's like, oh, that was Ken. Yeah. Good luck. And Frank, when we first see you, Ken, you're already, oh, yeah, and, right. uh, and I'm sure I am too. I'm sure that, uh, start with Earth, ah, brains. Yeah. I'm going to change the zombie rules for the purpose of this answer. And this is a, a zombie apocalypse where 
uh, something other than just being bitten has to happen to turn you into a zombie. Uh, and so, uh, the zombies however, have, have, uh, eaten off one of my legs. And so my, my energy is low. And, uh, I think the people behind the gate mostly take pity on me, but since my energy is low and I'm, it's going to be tougher for me to run a game, I'm going to run uh, the easiest game to GM, which is drama system. All right. Lightning round! Dan Noland asks, please name an RPG module and an adult beverage that pairs well with it. Robin? Tomb of Horrors and Salmiaki, the uh, Finnish <laughs> salty licorice liqueur. It's, it's awful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's both that's of them a are... terrible answer. That's so mean. Um, I both would say um, uh, Mass of Nilothotep and Bloody Marys, because you got to stay alert and you got to stay drunk. Lightning round! Uh, Friedrich Bjarnason asks... What is the biggest espionage blunder you can name? I think by definition, the biggest espionage blunders are the ones that destroy the country so thoroughly you don't even know that it was an espionage blunder. But um, for your survivors, Stalin dismissing Richard Sorge is a pretty good one, where Sorge says, Hey, Barbarossa's coming, and Stalin's like, That can't happen, and if you weren't in Japan, I'd murder you for saying it. Uh, but the CIA missing the fall of the Soviet Union entirely, also a big blunder. Robin? I can go with the current one. I'm going to go with the yeah. one where uh, the intelligence establishment of the U.S. Uh, didn't notice that the Cold War had been started up again, and uh, therefore sort of dithered while the uh, Russians tipped a close election to a uh, Putinist authoritarian. Lightning round! Joe Webb asks, what is the easiest, most interesting period in a culture's history to set adventures in, as well as drawing interesting PCs from? Is it birth and growth, the Roman Republic, for example, a stress during its height, the Civil War, or its fall? Robin? Um, I, I kind of uh, go for the fall, for the uh, or for the recovery from a, uh, a disaster, uh, both Ash and Stars and Aftermath are sort of the recovery phase where uh, bad things are still lurking, but you can kind of put things together because I think players want sort of a balance between enough stability that they can prosper and have safe places to go and uh, uh, that it's not just a, a total survival horror all the time, but at the same time, enough freedom for them to be irresponsible. So uh, any period where uh, things are either beginning to come apart or I think uh, somewhat more sympathetically beginning to get knit back together again, uh, possibly by them is a good time. So I would go with the... Uh, the recovery from disaster. And I would go with the frontier period when a civilization or a culture is feeling its oats, it's strong at home, and is out messing with foreigners. Uh, that is your classic Wild West. That is your classic Hellenistic era. That is your Victorian uh, steampunky adventuring. That's, I think, the, the good time to set your, uh, your, your culture because, as you say, they've got security. Uh, they know that uh, any, their money won't be stolen by um, uh, grubby barbarians, but they got adventure because there's weird foreigners out there who can be clocked over the head.
In the 1960s, the CIA hunted Yeti in Tibet, built aircraft that touched the edge of space, and experimented on mind control. But there's more to that story. In the 1960s, the FBI infiltrated occult movements, wiretapped congressmen, and winked at the mafia. Yeah, but there's more to that story. In the 1960s, the Marines invaded Cambodia, the Navy listened to the Pacific Deeps, and the Air Force covered up UFOs. Oh boy, is there more to that story. Those stories all touch the surface of the secret world, the poisonous, unnatural world of the Cthulhu mythos. A government program named Majestic tries to weaponize the unnatural. A government program named Delta Green tries to destroy the unnatural. In the fall of Delta Green, you play the agents of Delta Green, caught between your oath to America and your duty to humanity, caught between a world on fire and the icy cold of other dimensions. Written by Kenneth Hyde, The Fall of Delta Green adapts Arc Dream Publishing's Delta Green the role-playing game to the award-winning gumshoe engine. The Fall of Delta Green is a standalone game of standing alone against inevitable destruction. Delta Green falls in 1970. The world falls shortly thereafter. The Fall of Delta Green, available for pre-order now in the Pelgrane Press store. It's Delta Green. It's the 1960s. In Gumshoe, what are you waiting for? The end of the world? Lightning Round! Ian Carlson asks, if you could subtly crib a classic fantasy monster into a modern-day RPG setting, what would it be, and how would you do it without giving it immediately away? I'm going to go back to the old Manticore well. Manticores are terrific because they're sneaky and conspiratorial. They have a magic voice, which can soothe and hypnotize people. And the sheer fun of realizing that the guy you've done web chat with or heard on the phone or whatever, and you go around the corner to the boardroom and he's a full-fledged Manticore, that would be pretty terrific. I think with a Cyclops... Uh, if you're going to steal, steal from not only from Greek mythology, but from the Coen brothers. So all you have to do is uh, have someone show up with an eye patch, uh, which is perfectly normal thing. And then later on, it turns out they have a cave that they're guarding. And then, oh, no, uh, it looks like they're planning to uh, waylay you in that cave. Uh, I'm going to go with Cyclops. Trung Boy asks, what aftershave do you use, Robin? I'm not an aftershave user. I'm not a fragrance uh, person in general. And I've never understood uh, the appeal of uh, after you rake a sharp implement over your pores, then slapping something astringent and painful onto them. I am not an aftershave user. Cat. Cat is the aftershave that I use. If you're talking just mathematically, what happens to my face right after I shave? <laughs> Lightning round! Wayne Rossi asks, what elliptonic event secretly caused the 1904 Russo-Japanese War? The magus and mesmerist known only as Philippe, who was a mentor of our buddy Pappas, who we've discussed previously, arrived in Russia in 1903 and was exiled immediately by Rasputin, who did not need the competition. And that is what caused the Japanese to realize the Russians were weak and attacked them on the occult front, as well as in Manchuria. Uh, the Tunguska effect. Uh, now, you, uh, uh, podcast listeners be saying that happened in 1908, but ah, the Tunguska effect was a avatar of Azazoth, and of course uh, was therefore separate from the demands of space and time, and so uh, when it arrived and thought it was going to be uh, devouring a, a goodly number of, uh, of people for its devouring pleasure, uh, it landed in the middle of the forest and was frustrated and so therefore uh, leapt back in time to uh, set events in motion that it will allow it to uh, devour uh, a whole lot of uh, people uh, who were killed 
because of the war. So, Tunguska effect. Lightning Lightning round. round! Andrew M. Riker asks, how does the start with Earth principle differ in its application to fiction versus RPG creation? Uh... Not at all. Robin? Yes, you, you need just as much exposition for any historical period outside of living memory, and it is uh, just as difficult to introduce the setting complexities of Earth, uh, which make less sense than anything you would make up. Lightning round! Sean asks, if you were hired to turn one current TV show into an RPG, which show would it be, and what system would you use, or what would be the key elements of the system you would design? Robin? Jessica Jones, and I would use uh, Mutant City Blues. (laughs) Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I would use uh, the actual Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., very little of the TV show, and a combination of Knights Black Agents and Mutant City Blues. Lightning Round! Andrew Miller asks, why are the DC superhero movies failing while the Marvel ones are succeeding? Uh, the answer is the great man theory. Uh, Kevin Feige uh, is the only person in Hollywood who apparently understands how to make a cartoon movie. Kevin Feige happened to be in the right place at the right time on the X-Men movies, got recommended over to the Marvel movies when uh, when they started up, and worked his way up the chain through the X-Men's, got uh, the, op- the opportunity to do Iron Man, did Iron Man right. That's the reason. Uh, Kevin Feige knows as much about making a, a comic book into a movie as David S. Goyer does not, and that is pretty much the entire explanation, as you can tell by looking at the X-Men movies that he kind of didn't have his hand in, and also the other movies. Uh, I'm also going to go with the wrong man theory, which is that the, uh, the a lot of the writing is done by Goyer, but the sort of aesthetic approach to the DCU has been uh, Zack Snyder, and he is inspired uh, basically by his love of Frank Miller, and Frank Miller, of course, is uh, was a revisionist take on the mythology and was bracing uh, because of that, particularly in terms of Dark Knight. But then the uh, decade and a half of people imitating that wasn't so great. And doing a movie based on that instead of doing what DC is supposed to be, which is the uh, the brighter, more mythological version uh, and making movies for kids, darn it. So there's there's that too. Lightning round. Kevin L. Nolt asks, "What campaign got away from you in the best way?" Robin. That has never happened to me because I don't have a tight enough control on any campaign ahead of time to think of it as something that I have a hold of until it uh, gets away from me. Ken. Uh, almost certainly my Nobilis campaign, which I thought I had ended twice, and both times the players decided to do something big and dramatic that kind of cracked the setting. Um, I think the second time, they sort of uh, delayed their own fun a little too much, but by gosh, it was their idea to do it, and every time I'd say, guys, this is just a role-playing game. We, we, we're not stuck with this. They're like, leave us alone, old man. We know what we're doing. So, I think no bill is... Um, now that you mention it, I guess there was a time when my Gaian Reach game ended sooner than I thought it would because it spontaneously came to a perfect ending. Lightning round! Uh, Doug Palmer asks, What's one game system you would like to design slash develop for but have never been given the chance? Well, I mean, obviously, the answer is I've never actually designed slash developed for Call of Cthulhu, and I would like to be given the chance. Robin? Hmm, strokes chin. Uh... I would like to uh, do something for the uh, Victory Games James Bond 007 game. The reason that will never happen is that game hasn't been published uh, since 
I was in college. <laughs> Lightning, Lightning round. round! Jake asks, what RPG setting created by someone else would you like to run with Gumshoe? For example, Toon plus Gumshoe equals who killed Roger Rabbit? I wouldn't mind doing the World of Darkness vampire setting with the Gumshoe, where you're a, a vampire PI, and because uh, it seems like all of that, you know, uh, intrigue and, and killing each other is actually uh, would be more interesting from the distance of the uh, person who comes in and investigates who has messed things up for the council and, you know, who who drained this person, who stole uh, the data from the prince. Uh, I think that'd be fun. I think it'd be kind of fun to do a shadow run with Gumshoe, assuming that you, you know, got to sort of rein in some of the most more ridiculous bits of, of shadow run. But shadow run has that wonderful, insane high concept and has never really had a rule system that lives up to it. And it's supposedly all about investigating and heisting and things that Gumshoe does super great already. So it'd be fun to sort of take Gumshoe out to the transhuman, super magical end of things and see what happens. What uh, Sam Harris asks, in the fiasco or drama system game of the most current U.S. administration, what characters would be the most interesting to play? Uh, season one's Hope Hicks. Robin? I would find it demoralizing to play more than about two hours from the <laughs> points of view of those <laughs> That's characters. That's not the question, though. <laughs> so I, oh, wait, wait. So I would want to do a drama system game of the Mueller investigation <laughs> and be tracking them down. All right. Lightning round! Michael Prescott asks, Is there such a thing as a lowest common denominator gaming system which works really well for people from all manner of gaming backgrounds? Is that Freeform or something else? Robin? There is no such thing, except to the extent that there's a game that has a big enough audience that everybody has a little bit of something that they can uh, play there. So it's really the biggest game uh, and at the moment, that means D&D &D 5. And uh, while Robin's answer is mathematically correct, I would add a codicil of the original West End game Star Wars, which what did an equally bang-up job introducing role-playing to a whole lot of completely uninterested people who became fast role-players thereafter. Lightning round! Michael Prescott asks, Stories from books, TV, movies, etc. fire us up, but many stories only work because the author can iteratively control all of the parts. In adapting media to gaming, do you have a short list of things to look out for that are signs the story isn't a great template for RPG play? Robin, I was promised there would be no lists. There are some lists, and there are some things where you have to name games, but I think we could we could just take this into not a list and just give our number one thing. Uh, the first thing on that short list is, is the story about one character and their interior struggles, or is it about a bunch of characters doing things? And if the answer is A, it is not a great template for RPG play. I would look out for anything that keeps the bad guy completely away and stovepiped from the good guys through the course of the whole thing, or, on the other hand, assumes in a system that, unlike the Yellow King role-playing game, does not have a mechanism that allows for it, assumes that you can meet the bad guy and then he can escape. That's uh, always bad news, because in almost every game system, your characters can surprise you by catching the character that you uh, have planned in your scenario not to be caught, and therefore force you to either cheat them by not letting the rules work for them, or to uh, have your uh, storyline fall apart at your feet. Stephen Kuntz asks, Opinion on real-life skill-based checks in RPGs, Jenga, Bofferlarp, solving a real puzzle, etc.? Robin? Um, with the possible exception of the Jenga-driven games, which are uh, have enough chaos in them that they are essentially randomized, 
because you, your skill at Jenga at a certain point, uh, is, is not really under your control. But anything that, uh, that you can do with skill, uh, I, uh, generally disapprove of except when used for some specific purpose that I can't think of, uh, because why don't you just have a buffer game or play puzzles or stuff? It's very tedious for the rest of the group while the person who's good at that extraneous task gets to be good at it and gets an advantage from it. And puzzles are the worst because they're slow and boring. <laughs> um, I would say that in a LARP where you have lots of other things to do and you can always go off and talk to the mysterious elf or vampire, uh, that's good. On a tabletop situation, Robin is correct. Lightning round! Timothy Daly asks, what are your top tips for beginners using a pressure cooker such as an instant pot? It doesn't need all that liquid. Uh, about a quarter cup, maybe, or a half cup at most is all you need to make it properly instant and potted. Uh, everything is going to turn out super saucy and juicy pretty much no matter what you do. So try and get ahead of that problem at the beginning. Robin? Uh, that was going to be my tip. So instead, I will say if there's a large cut of meat... Cut it out. <laughs> Lightning round. round. Vanna Stillwater asks, what's the best type of polearm from the second edition AD&D Player's Handbook, Robin? Uh, that, of course, would be the Lucerne Hammer, because it has the uh, best name. And uh, also, I think there's a breeder's song about it. And, Robin, I would say, oh, Vanna, you sweet, sweet summer child, imagining that second edition AD&D is where the best polearms are. The answer is the Glaive G's-arm. Lightning Round. round. Uh, Derek McMullen asks, why are there almost no paranormal or weird stories about the Korean War? Uh, the real answer is that the Korean War, as they say, is the Forgotten War. It happened in the shadow of World War II, and uh, everything that was awful about the Korean War was even more cinematically awful in Vietnam, except for it being freezing cold all the damn time. So, yeah, it's forgotten in, in popular culture, and popular culture is where paranormal weird stories come from. That's the answer. Robin, do you have a weird answer or a different answer? You are correct. Since there are almost no stories about the Korean War, statistically speaking, uh, the percentage of those that would then have the paranormal in them are not enough for the number to be one. Lightning round! round. Brian asks, uh, how did working on the Yellow King RPG change your thoughts about combat mechanics, Robin? I was pleasantly surprised to find that there are uh, lots of people who want to hurry them up a bit, uh, at least in the context of an investigative horror game. They merely confirmed my previous thought, which is that Robin is an excellent designer. Lightning Round! Kevin J. Maroney asks, Why did Lovecraft sink his tentacles in the public imagination while Clark Ashton Smith is left to wander his magniloquent and doomed continent alone? Two reasons. Lovecraft created a myth, and that is literally the definition of sinking your tentacles into the public imagination, while Clark Ashton Smith did not. Also, Lovecraft's stories, qua stories, are better, by and large, though, of course, Clark Ashton Smith's style appeals more to most uh, modern readers. Robin? I would say, A, uh, in addition to those, Lovecraft is in the public domain, so everybody got to muck around with him and make him famous, and uh, that includes, of course, uh, the fine folks at Chaosium, who uh, helped kick off the uh, Lovecraft resurgence. Um, also, I think it's interesting, Ken, that you uh, think that Clark Ashton Smith's style is preferred by modern readers because I think it's actually a bit heavier going. It's technically better written, but also I think uh, because of his uh, wonderful, elaborate uh, locutions, uh, tougher to read.
Hey Ken, what happens when your steampunk RPG gets parasites in it? Well, actually, it's a parasitical game system that is added into your steampunk RPG. That sounds fabulous. Where can I learn more? In Volume 3 of The Best of Phoenix, now available in PDF at DriveThruRPG. That must mean that all three volumes of The Best of Phoenix are available separately or in a value-conscious omnibus edition. When you're typing it into the search engine, you're typing F-E-N-I-X. And what you get when you type that is the best of Sweden's much-vaunted magazine devoted to role-playing and gamer-friendly reviews. Including a metric oodle of articles by yours truly. They use the metric oodle in Sweden, right? Indeed they do, Ken. And in Sweden, by law, a metric oodle must contain such features as... Fallen Gods. Runepunk Steam Quests. Lamb Chop Love Songs. And the comic strip adventures of lazy beer-loving Bernard the Barbarian. All brought to you by the expert editorial hands of Tova and Anders Gilbring. Not by law. Logically related, but related by their love of role-playing. That's the best of Phoenix Volumes 1 to 3. The first of many gaming wonders to come from Askfageln. Ask for Askfageln by name. And don't forget, that's F-E-N-I-X. And remember, that's in English, not in Swedish. In English, not Swedish. Lightning Round! Uh, Michael Prescott asks, What historical writer would have made the best RPG writer, Robin? H.G. Uh, Wells. He's already a game designer, so uh, he could uh, hop on the RPG bandwagon. Alexander Dumas, because he's got adventure sense, he's got um, uh, the sense of how to take history and turn it into a story without getting all precious about it, and also, he wrote zillions of words a month, so he would have <laughs> actually maybe been able to he feed himself. made a living at it. Lightning Round! Alexandria Perman asks, what's a cuisine that you struggle to enjoy? A vegetarian food. Robin? Uh, the cuisine of my people. Uh, Central Ontario farm-based, boil the crap out of it, uh, cooking. Lightning Round! Brett Kramer asks, if you live in or near Akron, Ohio, does Heights Law still apply? Is there some secondary means of detecting alternative history? Uh, Robin, I think this goes to you for some weird reason, but there you go. Robin? Well, okay, so the key is if you see a dirigible, you're in an alternate reality. Right. But Akron, Ohio, of course, is where the hangar for the Goodyear blimp is. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, the, the other cliche, uh, that is a relatively newer cliche, but we're beginning to see it more and more is that alternate realities don't have coffee anymore. So that's the other thing. If Starbucks exclusively serves chai tea lattes, you're in an alternate reality. Also, I think Akronites know the difference between a dirigible and a blimp. So it does still apply. <laughs> Take that, Brett Kramer. A, a patron jab, a patron jab. Lightning round! Uh, Doc Cross asks, Pre-1960 motion picture that you could slide the mythos right into. <laughs> All or any of them, really. Um, uh, but my favorite uh, that is actually a mythos movie, even though it doesn't know it, is Gabriel Over the White House, which is about uh, the President of the United States having a strange mental effect and coming out a weird fascist. A clear-cut case of Yithian possession. And um, uh, by goodness, that was that was good fun back in 1933 when it was made. <laughs> oh, 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 how delightful. The easy answer to this, Doc, is any Val Luton movie. Right. So I'm going to go one step adjacent to that and say The Woman on the Beach, 1947, uh, made at RKO during the period when Val Luton was making films there, but made by Jean Renoir, the uh, titan of French cinema, the director of uh, Grand Illusion and Rules of the Game and The River and so many other 
classics of the cinema canon. Uh, during the uh, war and slightly afterwards, he did a, a stint in Hollywood, and this is one of his most interesting movies. It's about a love triangle between Joan Bennett and uh, Robert Ryan and uh, the Joan Bennett character's alcoholic artist uh, husband. And so on the face of it, it's just sort of a noirish melodrama, but uh, somehow that Val Luton spirit is is wafting in uh, from the from the soundstage next door, and there's this sort of a sense of weird horror about it. There are nightmares with uh, uh, skeletal figures at the bottom of the ocean, and uh, you would only have to add a little bit to it to say that the uh, frustrated artist character uh, came across a, a statuette of uh, Cthulhu or what have you, and that this was what was driving him. And, uh, you know, maybe there's something in that uh, wrecked, uh, warship uh, that has uh, come aground on the coast. Lightning, Lightning round! Jim Crocker asks, what's the point at which an indie RPG publisher becomes a mainstream slash trad publisher? Robin? Uh, when you have one full-time employee who is not a founder of the company or owner. Uh, when you say you are not an indie RPG publisher because the entire category begins and ends at self-declaration. Lightning round! Sean Gomez says, bees appear to have a concept zero. Sean Gomez asks, what gaming opportunities does this present to us? I don't know that it's any more gaming opportunities than were already present at the notion bees are a weird hive mind that communicate through dance and chemicals and eat information. But yeah, sure. Also, they know what zero is. Robin? Uh, so obviously, beehives are calculators, and they're calculators who are, as you mentioned before, have a hive mind. Uh, and uh, it could be that your uh, character, uh, your, your antagonist, is trying to connect uh, the bees so they can all work on the same math problem, which is how to uh, change the world to make it safe for bees again, uh, which means that it will be very unsafe for us. So uh, your mission, should you choose to accept it and not agree with the bees, that maybe an adjustment is in order, is to somehow disrupt the worldwide uh, bee uh world calculation effort to uh, change atmospheric conditions to get rid of us and make more pollen for bees. Lightning round! Martin Rundqvist asks, Even in fantasy worlds, there are some fairy tales and crazy beliefs that simply aren't true. In Lovecraft stories, for instance, Cthulhu does lie dreaming in his watery grave, but the main tenets of all the major religions are false ideas. What are some good ways to use the difference between true and false crazy beliefs and their adherence in fiction and gaming scenarios? Robin! Uh, so, the uh, interesting way to do that, I think, is to set up a, uh, a belief that uh, you just think in your fantasy world is going to be totally right, and then you get there and you find out that it's not correct. And then there's a deeper, more magical, more interesting idea behind it. And so you could either debunk a common assumption that your players have about what's going on in the world, like why ma everybody knows why magic swords work the way they do, because you go to the enchanter and you uh, get them enchanted up, and that's fine. And then they decide that the uh, magic enchantments are, for example, uh, made by bees, and that the bees have a plan. And so you have to uh, come up with some uh, reaction to this because uh, that complete change, in fact, will either uh, either portends disaster that you then have to fix or 
uh, if revealed, will uh, wildly change society. And, and in both, ca- in the first case, you have a problem to solve. In the second case, you have a moral dilemma. Uh, do you reveal the truth, or do you let everybody continue on uh, believing that nonsense about uh, enchanters enchanting magic weapons? Um, as you say, uh, the uh, notion of having something that people believe that is magic and awesome and debunking it into being boring is actually the opposite of good fiction or gaming. Um, so I think that what you have is a crazy cult in your fantasy game that believes in a thing and does a thing to get magic powers and... Um, it works for them. They get the plus one bonus in battle because they do all the weird stuff. But for whatever reason, you can't do that weird stuff. And so it becomes a puzzle to figure out, did they find some ancient primordial ritual? So even though they may have a misunderstanding of what they're doing, they're actually getting the power. Or is something else going on? And it, it becomes a mystery to explain, not a, a bummer when it's like, oh, there's no such thing as Sasquatches. That's old Farmer Giles wandering around in the woods. Or even, oh, there's no such thing as Sasquatches. Those are just owl bears. And it's like, well, that's... That's a dumb debunking. So that's what I say. Lightning Lightning round! Michael Kachi asks, Will Ken ever return to or update Adventures into Darkness? I believe that there is a plan to update Adventures into Darkness Fate for the new version of Fate, but I don't know when that will happen, and nothing is impossible in the world of role-playing games. Robin? And for uh, listeners other than Michael, uh, what is Adventures into Darkness? Adventures into Darkness is my game in which H.P. Uh, Love, it's the game supplement from an alternate history in which H.P. Lovecraft survived his cancer and wrote comic book superheroes. And it takes the public domain comic superheroes of Nidor Publications, assumes that Lovecraft wrote them, put his own magical spin on them, and then they became beloved comic staples. So it's a comic book role-playing supplement from that universe. Lightning Round! Tenant Reed asks, what is your favorite way to evoke fear at the table in a horror scenario? Robin? Uh, sound effects. Uh, most recently, the sound effects of Screaming Foxes. <laughs> Giving players different inputs in each other's hearing. So you say to the one player, he's got blood streaming down his face. And you say to the other player... He's smiling at you. Looks perfectly normal. Lightning round! The armchair adventurers ask, how hard is it to drown in a bowl of cornflakes? If you've put bourbon on them, not as hard as you might think. Robin? Uh, the question implies that you are making an effort to drown in a bowl of cornflakes. And I would like to, as a PSA, say if you're thinking of drowning yourself in a bowl of cornflakes, uh, beloved podcast listeners, uh, do not do that. Uh, if you are... Uh, looking to uh, make it seem as if someone you have murdered has drowned in a bowl of cornflakes. Also, do not do that. Sheila. (laughs) If you are trying to write fiction in which someone is killed by cornflakes so that you can make the terrible pun that I cut out of the question, the way to do it is to have uh, pallet loads of boxes of cornflakes fall on your victim. Lightning round! Adam Waxman asks, is a credible primary challenge to Trump in 2020 possible, Robin? Uh, yes. Can? <laughs> also, yes, but unlikely. Lightning round! Uh, Tim Vert asks, uh, what is Dr. Mabuza's connection to the mythos? Dr. Mabuza, of course, is the uh, early uh, 20s and 30s a pulpish character frequently featured uh, as a sort of a villainous figure in the silent and also in one case sound films of, uh, or actually I guess her later Mabuza film by him too, of Fritz Lang. 
Dr. Mabuza, what's his mythos thing? Uh, Dr. Mabuza is connected to Neogtha, the crawler in the dark. Neogtha is, sneaks around and he makes magical tunnels go back and forth. He can see crime and bad behaviors, and he's all about weird hyperspace stuff, which fits right into Vimar. So, Dr. Mabuza, cultist or avatar of Neogtha. Robin? I'm going to keep him in with his sort of uh, mad scientist roots and say that he's uh, doing the sort of from beyond style experiments and that his uh, power comes from the uh, extra dimensional entities that he is, uh, he is summoning and they give him the ability to be the, uh, the watchful eye. The thousand eyes of Dr. Mabuza are each sub-dimensional uh, worms in thrall to Dr. Uh, Mabuza. Lightning round! Louis Sylvester asks, what are your thoughts on solo role-playing? Robin? I think that video games are great, Ken. <laughs> if by solo you mean with one player and one GM, Robin's thoughts have been expressed most pithily in Cthulhu Confidential, on sale wherever fine games are sold. Lightning round! Uh, Nikolai asks, any thoughts on the plays of Norwegian playwright Henrik Ibsen? Uh, my thoughts thought is that I have not seen one staged, so I should not judge them, but on the page they read very talky, predictable, and boring. But many plays do that, and then you see them on stage, and they're super good. So, I am not going to question the ingrained power of the repertory, uh, so that's my response to Ibsen. Robin? Ibsen uh, is part of the world theater repertory for a reason, which is that his plays, when well-directed, uh, do play well on stage. And they're easier to imagine uh, being uh, played well on the page than, for example, Chekhov, right? When you try to read Chekhov's plays, you know, without uh, six weeks of rehearsal and all the subtext of everything coming through, they're incomprehensible. Whereas Ibsen, uh, you know, he's got that sort of Shaw thing a bit where, yeah, there's a bit more extended speechifying than you would expect. Uh, but, uh, you know, Doll's House and uh, Master Builder and uh, his other classics uh, play really well. I once saw a great production of Pure Gint uh, to bring mm. things back to goblins and stuff. Uh, it wasn't even written to be staged. It's written to be closet drama, but uh, uh, it can be uh, staged to great effect. So uh, uh, Ibsen uh, has his place in the canon for a good reason, and that's because his stuff plays. Lightning round! Ross Ireland asks, Cthulhu RPG seems most at home in the early parts of the 20th century is an era where you feel it fits least. A quick head snap of a question from Ross. Robin? Is there a time when Cthulhu fits least? So I think Cthulhu depends on the idea that there is uh, either a, a rationality of theology or a, a rationality of uh, secular thought where things make sense. Um, and uh, so the discovery that things uh, don't make sense and are, are actually out to get you is sort of the core philosophical uh, point of Lovecraft. So that if you uh, take an era where everything is already flying apart, uh, that is uh, full of uh, disaster and, and horror, uh, even without uh, Cthulhu, uh, I don't think it works so well. But uh, the makers of several competing World War II Cthulhu games would disagree with me. Can? I think that uh, one-shots of Cthulhu can work 
anywhere, anytime, under any circumstances. A repeated Cthulhu requires uh, enough people to create a, a uh, Petri dish, test bed, mask for Cthulhu activities. So the era that it would fit least would be an era where there are no people around. So something on the order of maybe uh, the Australian outback 50,000 years ago or a, uh, a period at the very, very edge of the American frontier. But even that, that's geographically located, not uh, temporally located. But uh, Cthulhu doesn't work uh, in iteratively in uh, non-urbanized settings and uh, or at least settings without a thick enough population to uh, hide what's going on. So that is a answer, but not an answer to Ross's question. Born of the U.S. government's 1928 raid on the degenerate coastal town of Innsmouth, Massachusetts, the covert agency known as Delta Green opposes the forces of darkness with honor but without glory. Delta Green agents fight to save humanity from unnatural horrors, often at a shattering personal cost. In Delta Green, the role-playing game, you play those agents. Fight to save human lives and sanity from threats beyond space and time. The long-whispered-of slipcase set has now shipped. This stunning edition includes two full-color rulebooks. The Any Award-winning Agent's Handbook features rules for creating agents and playing the game. Gear! Combat! Dossiers! The Handler's Guide for the game moderator who presents the mysteries and horrors of the Cthulhu Mythos. Terrible Secrets of the Intelligence World and of eons pre-human. Percentile-based rules compatible with 20 years' worth of Delta Green scenarios and source books. A universe of cosmic terror lurks just out of sight. Can your agents stand against it? Lightning Round! Uh, Philip Masters asks, which RPG system would you feel best simulates current political events? A bad one. Uh, <laughs> fatal, perhaps. Or um, uh, maybe one of those that you have to roll a zillion times to ever get anywhere, and by the time you're done, you're already bored. Um, or the Morrow Project, which is just terrible. Robin? Uh, this was already answered in a previous question. It's a fiasco or a skullduggery. Lightning Lightning round. Uh, Darren Hennessy asks, Harley Warren, badass occult investigator or belittling jerk, Robin? So... Uh, Harley Warren is from the story... Statement of Randolph Carter. Statement of Randolph Carter. Um, and so, remind me what's going on in that one. He brings Randolph Carter along. He's been his disciple, and Randolph Carter is like, carried all of his stuff and watched Harley Warren do all this cool uh, occult investigating, and now they're in a big swamp in Florida, and Harley Warren has found a necropolis. Oh, right, and, and he gets eaten by the ghoul at the And end. he gets, well, it's by something, we don't know. But yeah, sure, a ghoul. Call it a ghoul. Well, uh, I think if you're a badass occult investigator, you don't... Go down into the crypt yourself when you have a perfectly good sidekick to come with you and then get eaten while he listens in horror. Uh, so, uh, I think the whole point of the story is he kind of gets his comeuppance. Uh, so I think Lovecraft's point is yes, uh, he, he deserves, uh, whatever eats him, eaten him. And I would say on a similar note, embrace Darren Hennessy, embrace the power of and. <laughs> Lightning round! Uh, Laryl Hall Benny asks, what recent games do you believe have not received sufficient attention and which you would recommend 
to Cartas listeners? Uh, right off the top of my head, I would say Velvet Glove by Sarah Richardson, which is yet another uh, Powered by the Apocalypse game. Maybe it's getting crowded out a little bit by that um, uh, fratricidal uh, multiple launch uh, that, is, that is in that space, but it is super interesting. It's super fun to play. Sarah's a great designer, and it uses the strengths of PBTA instead of just cobbling PPTA on whatever else it is people thought that they wanted to do. So I would say Velvet Glove by Sarah Richardson. Robin? I've been periscoped down on Yellow King for so long that uh, I think all the things that I would think of, I was going to say uh, Harlem Underground, but it's it's up for a Diana Jones Award, so uh, it's yeah, you great. Can't, I mean, that's the trouble, is it's hard to find games that are you know, that, that haven't received sufficient attention, I guess. Yes, I, I do not have the, uh, the hunting time that I used to have, so, uh, if you're gonna look for something obscure, I'm afraid you're gonna have to ask someone other than me. Lightning, Lightning round! Dustin Mincy asks, who would be in Ken and Robin's dream team of characters, extraordinary gentleman style, to take on a full invasion from Carcosa? Uh, Robin. So I, I've given this enough thought that I've written down my answers. Uh, so, uh, we'll see who, uh, this will give Ken time to think of his, uh, team or possibly add some to mine. And my rule here is that there are no two characters from the same fictional universe. Right. Uh, so, uh, Buffy, the vampire slayer, uh, as, uh, both are a badass and are, uh, expert in fighting the occult. Uh, Dana Scully to give us, uh, science and a, uh, second, uh, viewpoint and to, uh, be the upholder of rationality as reality horror, horror pours in from Carcosa. Tangina Barons. Uh, does that name ring a bell with you, Ken? Tangina Barons, not right off the top of my head. It's the Zelda Rubenstein character from Poltergeist oh, as our, as our cool. team exorcist. Then Uncle Fang from Magic Cop. Uh, this is the, uh, 80s Hong Kong, uh, supernatural action movie in which uh, the actor who usually plays the uh, vampire exorcist in uh, the Mr. Vampire series uh, appears in uh, Modern Guys as a gun-wielding badass, uh, so he gets to be in our team. Uh, next, uh, Lenny Busker uh, from Legion. Uh, that's the Aubrey Plaza character who is uh, maybe sort of a tulpa, maybe not, but anyway, she's uh, an unreal uh, person-made manifest, so you want uh, someone like that to... Uh, uh, know what it's like to be unreal and then become real as a, as an expert in the way Carcosa does things. And finally, because you need uh, someone in charge of logistics and also a grounded person who can then uh, be the character who reacts to all of the craziness and reminds you that it's crazy, uh, I thought we would import uh, Luther Strickell from the Mission Impossible movie series. That's the Ving Rhames character. Uh, Ken, do you have a different team or any additions to my team? For a full-on uh, Carcosan invasion, I would say that you want Guy Debord. Obviously, he's your mastermind. He's there uh, letting you know what's the spectacle and what's real. He's got it uh, going on. And uh, for whatever reason, he can get people to listen to him who are normally uh, uh, strange and squabbly. So I think Gita Board is your sort of um, uh, man in the wheelchair uh, running it from behind. Obviously, your point man is Agent Lee from The Ticket That Exploded by William S. Burroughs because he is uh, already used to fighting mind control conspiracies. It'll be another day at the beach to him. I think John Constantine has to be there because you need someone uh, from the comic book world to um, uh, pull uh, reality back into shape and uh, John Constantine's powers are cunningly unexplored which is exactly what you will need when you're battling Carcosa and then finally I think maybe um, uh, heroic architect Howard Rourke 
from uh, the Ayn Rand Cinematic Universe because Architects <laughs> is how you stop Carcosa and an architect who believes A equals A is exactly the guy you need stopping uh, Carcosa. Robin? Rourke is just going to build his king and yellow death trap and at the very last minute he's going to complain that somebody wrecked the specs. He's going to blow up his own thing and then uh, the king is going to eat it. That's Rourke. why he has to be kept in line by Gita Board, Robin. It's a oh, team. Man. It's you're, a team you're a bunch of go- and John Constantine, totally unreliable. Yeah, Carcosa. You're fighting Carcosa, Robin. You're not fighting Thanos. Lightning, Lightning round. Steve Dempsey asks: In the matter of Canadian perseverance versus American might, who would win an arm wrestle between you? I must admit, this is a question. I have never once given an iota of thought to Ken. Yeah, I don't even think in the uh, ample Ken and Robin fanfic that this question has come up. <laughs> that's that's a dreadful thought in all kinds yeah, of ways. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it an awful idea? But you know, there you go. Um, now it's in the world. Uh, don't tell us. You know, I think it would just be whoever uh, knew that the other one wanted it more. I, I think that they would let the other person win because we, we you know, this, the bid is sacrosanct, right? Yes. And I guess if there's some sort of, uh, you know, we're, we're in the, the, the grandmaster's arena and we're forced to go along. I think that, I'm not sure what, I think it'd be a draw or something because uh, I, I do arm workouts as part of my uh, workout routine. But I think you have center of gravity. I do. Uh, over me. Low center um, of gravity. I just know that afterwards when we both wrote about it, that my sentences would be shorter and have fewer parenthetical statements. Lightning round! Jeff Cannell asks, Have either of you ever explored the Mammoth Cave Complex? The early text game Adventure of the Colossal Cave was based on it. What element of the mythos would be most suited for a story in that context? Robin. I have explored the Mammoth Caves. If by explored, you mean gone down as a tourist and done the tour when I was a kid. And so... The Mammoth Caves uh, are in Kentucky, I believe. Is that correct, Ken? Yes. Yes, they are. Let's say that it is. Um, and uh, they are uh, very large. and as Hence I, the name. Uh, hence the name. They're very extensive and also kind of boring. <laughs> if you want to see, like, stalactites and stalagmites and natural features and all sorts of cool things, you go, you go to the Luray Caverns. But the Mammoth Cave is just a big, giant, very dark hole in the ground. Um, and so, uh, I guess you gotta go with, uh, you know, if we want mythos, uh, closest as you can get to the, the troglodytes of the descent, which I guess is, uh, is ghasts, maybe. Right. Or, um, or the Martin, the inbred Martenses from, uh, Lurking Fear. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so, you know, it's a basic cave run, darkness, something that wants to eat you, you can't get out. And uh, lots of uh, direction to get lost in. And uh, I think it would be fun, although less uh, on the nose, to put Volthoom from Clark Ashton Smith's uh, The Vaults of Yovambus in it. Because I think a Martian space vampire would be fun in Kentucky. Lightning Lightning round! round. Roger Edge asks, what is your con beverage of choice? Uh, Vodka tonic in the bar, for reasons already discussed. Bourbon in the hotel room. And Coca-Cola... All the sugar, all the caffeine, every other time I can possibly get it. Although, obviously, coffee is just as good in many uh, circumstances. Robin? Uh, during the day, uh, water and coffee. In the evening, i got to pace myself, especially at a convention with a lot of people. And so uh, my rule to myself over the last few years uh, is I never just order a drink for myself because at some point in the evening, some lovely person might come along and want to buy a drink. For me. This is not a request to buy me more drinks at Gen Con. This is, I do not have a shortage Buy of Robin more drinks at Gen Con, everyone. What are you waiting for? But when someone does that, I ask, what are you having? And if it is not horrible, 
I enjoy the offerers uh, beverage of choice. Um, previously on the podcast, we did a whole uh, a segment about my quest for my default cocktail to order in a bar, and that turned out to be the old-fashioned. Lightning round! Drew Clowry asks, what technique, idea, mechanic should the computer game industry steal from the tabletop industry next? Robin. Dramatic scenes with a petitioner and a grantor. Non-nerfed multiplayer play. Lightning round! Tony Kemp, what are your respective favorite, for any value of favorite, historical time periods? It's sort of a tie between the Elizabethan age, broadly spoken, and the Hellenistic era. Robin? I I tried to find a a golden age where things were not too terrible, given Mm -hmm. that it's history and things are either kind of terrible or very terrible. That's that's sadly a human experience. Um, So... Uh, it's close to, uh, my thoughts right now, but the Belle Epoque Paris is pretty cool. It is cool. You're right in the middle. You're, you're equidistant between horrors. Uh, so you're, uh, a good generation, uh, past the Paris Commune and the, uh, ensuing, uh, crackdown that was actually killed way, way more people in the French Revolution. And you're, uh, a generation away from, uh, World War One, which is, uh, uh, not yet begun to fully loom. So, uh, you get to hang around with, all sorts of uh, cool cultural figures and, and uh, you know, you can hang out with Marie Curie one night and uh, Toulouse-Lautrec the next, and uh, that's pretty good. Belle Epoque Paris. Lightning round! Eden Brandis asks, Why does NBA and Gumshoe generally use D6 instead of D20 or percentile for action resolution? Robin? I wanted to pick a die that was uh, relatively coarse, uh, since the whole idea of the, the part with the die rolling in it, which of course is not the part where you gather information, but the part where you do things where it's just as interesting to uh, fail as to succeed. Uh, the fact that you, the mechanic is about deciding how much you want to succeed and how many of your pool points you add to the die. Each pool point had to matter. So, uh, something that was very swinging, like a d20 was unsuitable. I wanted to be the least swingy die and conveniently also uh, the most common and accessible die that even if you're somehow wanting to play gumshoe uh, at your grandma's house and forgot to bring your polyhedrals, uh, you can raid the Yahtzee box and get a dice. The answer is because Robin designed gumshoe and NBA is a gumshoe game. Lightning round! Lee Williams asks, food question, shawarma or musicon? A shawarma, Robin? Shawarma! Lightning, Lightning round! David Shaw asks... Best horror film to introduce someone who doesn't like horror to the genre. Uh, Robin? Uh, real life answer. Aliens. Uh, my <laughs> lovely wife Valerie was, uh, squeamish about horror movies back in the day. I couldn't get her to go to see The Fly with me, but then I did get her to go to see Aliens. And that uh, turned her right around. And now she has, uh, just doesn't describe herself as a horror fan, but when, uh, Time Out London lists its top 100 horror movies, she has, uh, seen all of them. Uh, somewhat curated by me, and uh, she has just as high a tolerance for bloodshed and mayhem as I do. So, Aliens. The Haunting, the uh, Robert Weiss one from 1961, is it? 1963? Whenever it was. Uh, the Robert Weiss, The Haunting, because there's no blood, there's no guts, there's none of the things that people who say they don't like horror are actually talking about. It is just pure horror. And if they don't like being scared, then yeah, they're not going to like horror because that's what they don't like. Lightning round! And finally, Andrew Miller asks, how would you do Death of Stalin as a game? <laughs> uh, almost... 
the temptation is to say, I mean, certainly you do it as a fiasco game, right? It, it almost has to be. That's what it is by definition. Um, but, uh, the temptation is to go the opposite of the way that Inucci did. And so say, um, uh, Go ahead and do a silly British accent, assuming you're not a silly British person. If you're a silly British person, I guess good for you, because the silly British accents are a lot of the other fun of the movie, in addition to the fiasconess of it. Robin? Are you positing that there's a game called Silly British Accent? Th- that's a LARP, Robin. Okay. Well, the answer, of course, has been given several times in this episode, Skullduggery or Fiasco. And that brings us to the end of our lightning round, the end of our 300th episode, nearly to uh, six years of podcasts, uh, but we're not going to let up. We're going to be back uh, the very next week with uh, episode 301, and we'll start ticking that count up yet again until we reach 350 in 2019, assuming we have a 2019. We're going to assume that, right, Ken? Are we doing a lightning round every 50? I thought we did them every 100. Uh, We do them every 50. Really? We do one a year. Oh, I did not think that. Okay, so folks... We've learned that Ken does not listen to the show. So, <laughs> yeah. so we, yeah. we hope that you continue to listen to the show. Someone has to. And I guess, uh, Ken, get us out of here. <laughs> uh, on, on that note, I guess I'm going to go back and listen to 300 episodes. I hope that you'll be back for episode 301 and uh, continue to tug your forelock and scrape to Patreon backers of the show in the street because they're obviously a higher, finer, better, nobler person. Stuff having once again been talked about, it's time to thank our sponsors. Atlas Games. Pelgrane Press. Astfagown. Arc Dream. Dark Tower. And Pro Fantasy Software. Music, as always, is by James Sample. Audio editing by Rob Borges. Get your priority question-asking access by supporting our Patreon at patreon.com backslash Robin. Snag Ken and Robin Apparel and other erudite merchandise at tpublic.com slash user slash Robin. Now available, Walrus Revenge! On Twitter, he's at Kenneth Height. And he's at Robin D. Laws. See you next time when, once again, we will talk about stuff.